You know, it's, it's hard to believe that summer is over. Like, I guess technically the, the, se- the, the season summer is still going, I, I think. When does summer technically end? Like, Thanks, Tessa. September 22nd. We still got a few days, but it's, it's hard to believe that, like, summertime, like, you, you know, when you're not in school and all the, like, it's done. You guys have started classes again if you're in class. If you're not in class, your friends who are in school have started school back. Sometimes uh, fall, when fall comes around, it kind of acts as, like, this, this reality check. Like, okay, the past couple months, this summertime feeling that I had, like, that's, that's not normal. And fall is this reality check. Like, okay, it's time to get back to real life. It's time to get back to normal. And it's important that at times we go through reality checks. Like, we just need to be brought back to reality all the time. And not just with practical life, like summer, fall, like silly things like that. It's important at times to go through a spiritual reality check. Like, for you just, just to think about your relationship with Christ, and just, just to think, okay, like, what's reality? How is my relationship with Jesus really? Because it's so easy to go through the motions, is it not? It's so easy to, to show up to church, to go to small group. It's so easy to just read your Bible for five minutes a day, to say a quick prayer, to, to, to pray for the food, to tell people, oh, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm here for you, I'm praying for you. It's so easy to just go through the motions. And if you're not careful, you can get to the point to where, like, that's, that's just your life. You're going through the motions with your relationship with Christ, but all the while you can be saying to yourself, oh, it's great. My relationship with Christ is great. It's so good. But there's times where you, you need a reality check. You need to be brought back to reality. And there are so many passages of Scripture that, that serve to, this, to, to have a reality check of, of how is your relationship with Christ really. I think this passage that we're going to be in tonight serves as one of those spiritual reality checks. So Mark chapter 8, hope you're there. We're going to read verses 31 to 38. These verses contain a command of Jesus that, unfortunately, a lot of times can seem like Christians are not really taking it all that seriously. When Christians get to the point where they're just going through the motions, they're doing the things that they know that they should do, going through the motions, and that's not good, that's not right, that's, that's my point. It's not, it's not right to be there. So look, you need to understand that if, if, you, if you claim to be a Christian, if you profess faith in Jesus, you need to understand that God expects something from you. He is expecting you to do certain things. He's commanding you to do certain things. So if, if you say, yes, I'm a Christian, I follow Christ, I profess the name of Christ, then God is expecting things from you. And we can get to a point where we're not obeying. We're, we're not doing the things that God expects us to do, but we can still be like, oh, everything's fine. My relationship with Christ is great. It's so great. Of course he's pleased with me. Of course what I'm doing is pleasing. Of course. And it's those moments where you need to be brought back to reality. And if you miss the things that Jesus talks about in these verses, then you have missed, you misunderstand what it actually means to follow Jesus. 
I'm going to say that again. I mean that. I mean that when I say it. If you miss the things that Jesus talks about in these verses, then you have misunderstood what it really means to follow Jesus. But if you, if you get it, if you understand it, and you pattern your life after the things that Jesus is saying, then you will be following him exactly as he expects you to. You will be following him exactly as he commands you to as a Christian. And it's, it's, it's my prayer and it is my deep desire that, that this ministry, that, that me, starting with me, just know that I'm preaching this, to starting with me, okay? And all of our leaders and all of you will take this seriously. It's my prayer that we will all follow Jesus exactly how he expects us to. And if we are, then we can, we, we can just trust. We can be confident that God is going to be doing amazing things through your lives and ultimately like through this ministry. So Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31, it says this. And he began to teach them, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, talking to crowds, he says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus has just looked at his disciples, and he's turned to the crowds, these people following after him, and he says, you have to die to yourself. You have to die to yourself, and you have to commit to following me. You have to commit your life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In order to follow Jesus the way that God expects you to, you have to die to yourself daily and you have to commit your life to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's point number one. Stop idolizing worldly comforts. Stop idolizing worldly comforts. So verse 31 says that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer Many things. So he's looking at the disciples and he's, he's telling them, hey, I, I'm the son of man and I will go through things I am going to suffer. And at this point, he hadn't taught the disciples this yet. They hadn't heard these things yet. So he, he is 
the, for the first time, telling his disciples, I'm going to suffer. This is one of three occasions where he carefully explains what's going to happen to him. And what he's explaining to his disciples is, is what's known as the cost of messiahship. He's saying, hey, this is what is going to happen to me. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. But he also tells them right there, I'm going to raise again. After three days, I will raise again. And so think about all the things that Jesus suffered through. He suffered through rejection, betrayal, abandonment, beatings, floggings, loneliness, slander, ultimately dying on the cross and taking the punishment for sin that you and I deserve. And he's telling them, I'm going to suffer. He's saying, I'm going to suffer. He knew that the will of the Father was for him to go to the cross. Jesus knew exactly what God's will was. He knew the will of the Father was for him to go to the cross to take the full wrath of the Father against sin and die, but he also knew of his resurrection. So you need to understand that soul-saving salvation, it only comes through the Messiah. It only comes through the suffering Messiah. There's no other way. And, and if, if you don't have a, a proper understanding of the gospel of Jesus, then, then nothing else that I'm going to say tonight is going to make sense to you. Without the cross, there is no salvation. Without Jesus, without our Savior who was willing to die in our place to take the punishment with, without Him, then you and I, we would be getting punished. And the truth is, if you don't put your trust in Jesus, then you will receive the punishment that you deserve. So look, I just, I just want to get real with you for a second and just say, like, you need to put your trust in Jesus. You need to put your trust in Christ. If you haven't done that, like if, 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 you, if you've got questions, if you're confused, then come talk to me. I'm, I'm dead serious. Like when we're done, if, if you're like, I, I, go talk to your leaders. If, if you need to just completely ignore the questions I have laid out for you, do that. Like you need to understand the gospel. You need to put your trust in Jesus. And if you have trusted in Jesus, then you need to understand what Jesus is commanding here. And you need to take the command seriously. Like you, need to stop, you need to stop playing around. You need to take it seriously. So Jesus is telling his disciples all these things. In verse 32, it says that Peter, <laughs> of course it was Peter, he takes Jesus aside and he rebuked him. Why don't you just think about it? Like, just for a second, like, like this is real. Like, just, just put yourself there. Put, put a fly on the wall, right? Jesus is saying these things, and Peter, he's like, hang on, come here. Let me talk to you, Jesus. And he starts to rebuke him. Like, what are you talking about? You're not going to suffer. How could you say these things, Jesus? You're not going to do this. This isn't right. You're not going to, no, 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 no. We, we need to have a conversation. You're not going to do this. Peter failed to understand the necessity of the cross. Because to Peter, this whole idea, this whole idea of a suffering Messiah was impossible. Because what, what were they waiting on? They were waiting on the Messiah to come and, and to just blast the Romans, right? Like they, they were just waiting on the Messiah to come and lead them to this military victory. Like That's what they thought. 
They were like, when, oh yeah, like here, he's the Messiah, he's going to lead us to this, this is going to be great. And all of a sudden Jesus is teaching them, hey, I'm going to suffer many things and I'm going to die. And so Peter pulls Jesus to the side and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need to give you a lesson on what the Messiah is actually going to do. And he's talking to the Messiah. Like it's pretty ironic, right? And so Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) Again, put yourself there. Just imagine you're hearing this go down. Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus, at this moment, he treats Peter like he's Satan. Like he's demon-possessed or something. And at first that might seem really, really harsh, but it's justified, of course, and it's necessary. So, just like Satan was doing at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, what Peter is, is saying to Jesus, what, what he's offering to Jesus, is, is he, he's offering Jesus the crown without the cross. He's saying, no, 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 you don't need to do all that. You don't need to do that. You're not going to go through that. Like you, you can still reign. You can still, you can still go. Like we can still have this victory. It doesn't have to happen that way, Jesus. And so he's like, he's like reliving the temptation uh, that Satan put him through. And so he's telling Jesus, like, you don't need to go and suffer and die. Like, like, don't you know how powerful you are, Jesus? I've seen you do these miracles. Like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? You don't have to suffer. You don't have to die. You can still rule, and you can still have your kingdom without dying. And so Jesus responds, and he says, get behind me, Satan. Just, just get behind me. Because what Peter's doing in this moment is Peter's thinking that his plan is better than Jesus' plan. He's saying, okay, cool, that sounds cool and all, but here's a better idea. I have a better idea than what you have, Jesus. Jesus says, no, 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 get behind me, Satan. And whenever we read the Bible, we, we can be really hard on like the Israelites, and we can be really hard on Peter in this moment, but I don't, I don't want to be so quick to judge Peter because you probably do the same thing that he's doing more often than you realize. And the more that I think about it, the more that I realize, like, I do similar things in my relationship with Jesus more often than I would like to admit. If you're not careful, you can kind of reshape and redefine Jesus and and what it looks like to follow him on your own terms. And you can start to follow this idea of Jesus that you've actually made up. And at that point, you're not following Jesus anymore. And at that point, you need to be brought back to reality. If you're not careful, you can reshape Jesus into something completely different than who he actually is. There's times where you might think that that your idea, that your plan is better than God's idea. Your, Your plan is better than God's plan. So maybe you've had conversations with God. Maybe you've been praying before. And you said, God, are you sure about this? Or do you, do you really, this is really what you want me to do? Maybe you thought, God, please hear me out. 
I, I really would like for this to happen. I really want this to happen. Please help me to get this. Maybe you thought, God, this is a good plan. I have a good plan. Can you please just give me what I want? See, Peter's suggestion, what he's suggesting, it, it proves that what he was doing was thinking in human terms. Right? So Jesus says, you're not thinking about the things of God, you're thinking in human terms. Peter wasn't thinking of the things of God. And the truth is that humans, we always are thinking, we always crave comfort. We're inclined to crave after and to desire the comfortable thing. The thing that you know is going to make your life a better. Your idea of a better life. The thing that is going to make you comfortable. The thing that you think that you need. And the difference between the things of God and, and the things of man is that God never calls for comfort. You understand? The things that Jesus is saying, you, we can't read this and think, oh yeah, Jesus wants me to have a comfortable life. So humans, we, we're calling and desiring after comfort when God is calling after the cross. It's not going to be comfortable. He doesn't call you to comfort. He doesn't say, sure, you can have all the desires of your heart, all the comfort you could ever want. He's calling for the cross. So Peter wants comfort. Peter wants the Messiah to do what they've thought the Messiah is going to do all these many years. He doesn't want to be oppressed anymore. He wants the Messiah to bring about the reign of the Jews. He wants to sit at the right hand of the king of the Jews, is what Peter wants. So when Jesus is saying all these things about suffering, he's, he's going to do whatever it takes. Whoa, 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 that's, that's not right, Jesus. The desire for comfort can very quickly become an idol. can very, very quickly become an idol. And if you desire the comforts of this world more than you desire to follow after Jesus, then you're committing idolatry. Here's the definition of comfort. A state of physical ease and freedom from pain or constraint. So, of course, in our flesh, we want physical ease. We, we want things to be easy. We want to have an easy life. We, want, we don't want pain. We don't want any constraint. So it's in our desire for comfort that we're going to desire after things like money, maybe a big house or a, an awesome job or a spouse and a family, a good school, a good neighborhood to live in, food, more money, more clothes. Fill in the blank. You're probably already thinking of things in your own mind. Put it there. What is it for you? What are the comforts that you're so tempted to just pursue and, and to desire? And we can come to a place where our lives are spent pursuing after these worldly comforts rather than pursuing a deeper and more intimate and more obedient relationship with Jesus. Last year, I think it was last year, Amber and I had this opportunity to go on a vacation in Tennessee, and we were driving from Georgia to Tennessee, and, you know, we get to Tennessee where there's mountains, and there's, like, this beautiful green, like, 
pastures, and valleys. It is just a beautiful place. And we get to this point on the highway where we're surrounded by these like beautiful houses, these these homes, like these gorgeous, like big yards, a big white fence, like horses running around, like it's just beautiful. And as we're passing through, we're just it's just kind of silent in the car. And I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm not kidding, I remember thinking to myself, I would give anything to have a house like that. That is word for word what I thought in my mind. I would, I would, I would give anything to have a house like that. And several minutes went by where I'm like fantasizing and, and truthfully where I'm coveting this house and this yard and this, this idea, this, this life that I don't have. This, Amber was, was pregnant with Noah at the time and I'm just thinking like this yard for, for our baby to, to, to run around and like just, we don't have that, and it would be so great to have, I just remember thinking like over and over, like, I would, I would really do any, I would give it, I would do anything for that. And then after, after several minutes of thinking this, God graciously brought to my attention how sinful I was being. And just how sinful it was for me to be thinking this. I, I would give anything for a house? You know, uh, uh, I would give anything, that's what I thought. And I even was having thoughts like this, like to, to justify this. Thoughts like, oh, if I just had enough money to buy a house like that on a nice big lot, then you know what, God, what that would do is it, was, it, would, it, would, actually, it would actually enable me to have more impactful ministry. I could have people over to this house all the time, God. I'd have people all over, all the time. It would be an open door to anybody to come over. We'll, we'll cook meals, like we'll, we'll, we'll talk about you. Like it, it'd be such a good thing, God. It'd be such a great thing if you just gave me this house. And then I'm thinking, if I just had enough money to just to not have to worry about my bills, I don't want to worry about my bills. You know, you know, God, if you just gave me that and I didn't have to worry about these things, it would it would actually be easier for me to do ministry without having to worry about these other things. So I'm like, yeah, God, this is a good plan. You sh- please, can I have this? this is, I'm, just te- I'm essentially telling God, like, this is a good plan. You should give me this because, because I want it. And I mean, I've had, I had to repent of those thoughts. I had to repent of, those, of that mindset, of that attitude. Because thoughts like that, it's not what Jesus is after. It is not what Jesus is talking about. In expressing these thoughts to God, what I was doing is I was actually admitting to him that I wouldn't really trust him until he made my life more comfortable. You think about it. If you gave me this house, I wouldn't have to worry about X, Y, and Z. I wouldn't have to worry about the bills if I just had enough money. I'm saying, God, I don't fully trust you right now. And if you gave me these things, if you made my life more comfortable, then I, c- I could trust you better. And so it's, it's in these moments where we're just like Peter, what Peter was doing, where, where we're craving and desiring after worldly comfort, where we have to repent, and we have to, along with Jesus, say, get behind me, Satan. 
Because when you're so focused on these worldly comforts, when you're so focused on these things, you are not focused on following Jesus the way that he says. Jesus said, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. The things of man, that's comfort, that's easy life. The things of God is following Jesus no matter the cost. Following Jesus no matter how hard your life gets. Following Jesus no matter how much money you have, no matter the house you live in, no matter any of that. You just keep following Jesus. You keep obeying Jesus. Alright, so Jesus, he makes it clear that idolatry is a sin. And as he continues, he, he adds more to this. Here's point number two. I want you to start denying your flesh. So he's telling Peter, if your mind is set on worldly comfort, repent. Because that's not what I'm calling. That's not what Jesus is calling you to. That's not what he's promising you. We need to stop idolizing worldly comforts and you need to start denying your flesh. So verse 34 says that Jesus called the crowds to him. So it's like he's having this private conversation with his disciples, telling them all about the things he's going to go through and how he's going he's to raise from the dead. And Peter pulls him aside and starts to rebuke him. And he has this conversation. And then after that's over, he turns to the crowds. So it's like something going on here just made Jesus go, I'm, I'm, now I'm going to go and tell the crowds something. He's got something really important to say. Like a private conversation to, and now I'm announcing it to everybody that's here following me. And he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He says, no, it's not about what you want. It's not about the things that will make your life more comfortable. Here's what it's all about. You deny yourself. Because it's not about you. And you take up your cross, and you follow after Jesus. So if you're reading from ESV, like I just did, you have the word let, let him deny. If you're reading from other translations, the word there is must. Right? So I, I'm saying that because I don't, I, don't want you, I don't want anybody to be confused. This is an imperative. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't like a, hey, Jesus is saying, follow this advice or don't. Take it if you don't want. This is an imperative. It's a command. And he is commanding his followers. He's commanding those who profess faith in him to do this, to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow him. So whoever follows Jesus must do these things. You have to deny yourself. And just like worldly comforts can be an idol, I think that can all be really wrapped up and summarized in the idol of self. Just what, what you want, what, what you think is best, all, all the things that, that you want. Like you can be an idol to yourself. So he's saying, hey, you need to just deny yourself. Deny it. Deny your flesh. Deny anything about you that is not honoring to God. Deny it. Put it to death. He's saying you need to treasure Jesus more than you treasure yourself. Treasure Jesus, desire a, a relationship with him, desire a life of obedience to him more than you're desiring comforts, more than you're desiring 
your, your life aspirations. Listen, whatever goals you have for your life, whatever things you're aspiring towards, like, great, you need to have things you're working towards, right? But it can become an idol. Whatever aspirations, whatever desires you have, you cannot treasure those more than you treasure Jesus Christ. And whenever you're focused on what you want and your plan and your comforts and your desires and what your flesh is saying, it can so easily become this back and forth with God of, hey God, please give me what I want. Give me what I want because this is what I want. This is what I want. This is what I want. We should be saying, God, I'm going to deny myself. I'm, I'm, I'm denying myself. And I want what you want for me. I'm going to follow you, God. I'm going to be obedient to you no matter what's going on, no matter what the cost is. So really, you have to say no to every single action or thought that is motivated by self-centeredness. You've got to deny yourself. What things are you doing out of motivation to serve yourself? What aspirations do you have in life that are just completely self-serving? You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Pick up your cross. I think that I've said something similar in here before about this, but this, Jesus' command to pick up your cross would have been extremely shocking for the crowds to hear. Like, for us, it doesn't seem that shocking because, like, we know what happened on the cross. Like, we, we have the luxury of knowing, oh, pick up your cross, like, Jesus died on the cross, he rose, like, yeah, yeah, we, we get it, right? But these people, this would have been extremely shocking to them because everybody knew exactly what Jesus was referring to whenever he said this. There, every single person in the crowd, their minds all went to one thing, and it was the cross, and it was shocking because of what crosses were used for at that point in history. Everybody knew that a cross was an instrument of death. People were not wearing crosses around their necks and getting them tattooed on themselves. It was an instrument of death. People were hung on these crosses as criminals to die. Out in public for people to see. So they had seen people hanging on crosses they had seen people carrying their crosses just like Jesus did. And so when Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me, these people would have been like, that is not what I was expecting him to say. So Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow him. It's, it means it's the denial and death of self, of your self. And this cross to bear is required of everyone who would follow after Jesus. It is required that you are carrying your cross and you're following Jesus. Now, I want you to understand that carrying your cross it's not simply hardships. It's not just suffering and hard times that you face. Sometimes people will say that something like an unfair boss or a cancer diagnosis or a car accident is, is your cross to bear. They'll say, oh, you know, 
it's just my cross to bear. I've got to bear this cross. That's a misunderstanding of what Jesus is saying. That's not what Jesus means when he says, bear your cross. These things are not our crosses. A cross, the cross that Jesus says to carry, it comes specifically from walking in the steps of Jesus Christ. From following behind him closely. From living your life in obedience to him. So the cross that you're bearing, it's the, the hardships that you will face as a result of you following Jesus. Not just general things that are hard, but the hardships that you will face because you follow Jesus. So when your boss treats you unfairly because you follow Jesus, then that's a cross to bear. So it's important to understand that the cross that you carry is proportionate to your dedication to Christ. I'm going to say that again. There may be a simpler way to say it, but I'm just going to say this again. The cross you carry is proportionate to your dedication to Christ. Difficulties that arise because of your faith in Jesus are an indication of cross-bearing. So we all need to be asking ourselves this question. Do I have any difficulties because I am following closely after Christ? Or in other words, is, is there any cost at all to your relationship with Jesus right now? Is it costing you anything? Or is it just easy? Is your life easy? Have you slid into this life of comfort and ease? Because if the answer to that question, do I have any difficulties because I'm following closely after Christ, if the answer to that question is no, then the truth is you may not be following after Christ as closely as you think. It's no secret that the world hates Jesus. I mean, he said the world will hate him, and it does, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. The world hates Jesus. The world hates everything that Jesus stands for. So if you are professing Christian, and you are truly living your life in the way that Jesus is saying to live, picking up your cross and following him, if you're living that way, then you're going to run into difficulties because of your faith in Jesus. People are not going to like it. Now, you may not get killed. That's just a blessing that we have right now at this very small, specific point in history that we're not murdered for our faith in Christ. But you understand that's not the norm. When you read about history and how different countries throughout history have treated Christians, even other countries right now, like what, we, what we're blessed to live in right now is not normal. So we're not getting murdered for our faith, but you'll go through some difficult things. There's a cost to it. If you're denying yourself, if you're taking up your cross, if you're following Jesus, then you will experience opposition, and you're going to experience certain forms of persecution. Even in America, even in our country today. So first of all, let me just say this. If, if you 
came to Christ, if you trusted in Jesus because someone on the other side was, was promising you that your life is going to get better, your life is going to get you have money problems, trust in Jesus and those go away. If somebody told you that, they lied to you. And I am deeply sorry that someone told you that. But I'm telling you right now that over and over and over and over again through Scripture, especially when you read the words of Jesus, he never says anything about comfort. He says everything about the cross that you have to carry when you follow him. He never promised an easy and comfortable life. But the beautiful thing about this is that Jesus never called on anyone to do anything or to face anything that he was not prepared to face himself. So Jesus has every right to call us to take up our crosses and to follow him. So I just, I just, I want you to, I just want you to think tonight. I want you to just do some thinking. Do, do some reflecting about your life. Do you say that you're a Christian? If the answer is yes, how are you living? I mean, are, are you sharing the gospel ever at all? Like when, when you hear people who have a, a misunderstanding of the gospel, when people just slander, oh, those stupid Christians, and this, like, do, do you just like, do you just let it happen? Are you carrying your cross? Are you following Jesus the way that he says that we have to follow him? Or have you been too busy pursuing worldly comforts, not denying yourself, just after whatever the things that you desire? And Jesus continues in verse 35, and he says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So the one who tries to save, if you try to save your life, what Jesus is saying essentially is this. If, you're, if your whole life is all about, oh, what's comfortable, let's get some money, let's get a house, let's do this, let's do that, and you're not focused on following him, you're going to lose your life. Your life is lost. It's gone. When you play it safe, when you're constantly pursuing the comfortable thing, he's saying, yeah, that's a really good way to lose your life. And in another sense, it means that by the end of your life, if all you've done is chase after what's comfortable, what will make your life easy, if you've not been denying yourself and you've just been giving full vent to yourself and your flesh, you're going to come to the end of your life and you're going to look back and you're going to think, what did I do with my life? What did I accomplish with my life? But if you lose your life for the sake of Christ, if you wake up every day and you say, God, help me to die to myself today. And your life is no longer about you and your comforts and your desires and your flesh. And it's all about Jesus and obeying Jesus and serving him and pleasing him. That's how you save your life. Following Jesus involves risking everything. Risking your safety your satisfaction, the things that make you feel satisfied, the things that make you feel secure. Right? Like that, that's, that was my problem with the whole house thing and the money. 
in those moments where I'm struggling with these things, what I'm saying is, God, you don't make me feel secure, but more money will make me feel secure. Following Jesus involves risking it all. But Jesus promises that when we risk it all for his sake, it will lead us to a reward that you could never find in this world, that, that comforts will not give you. It's only found through this life of following after Jesus. So I want you to get this through your head. I want you to just, just understand this, that Jesus is worthy of you giving your life for him. And so what I mean is, is twofold. Living every day for him. It's not about you anymore. It's not about what you want. It's all about what Jesus wants. It's all about obeying him and following him. But not just there. He's worth dying, literally dying for. And that's something that we have a hard time understanding because of where we live at this point in history. But once again, if you just read books, if you just Google things like, Christians, for so long, they had, to, they had to wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, you are worthy of dying for. And then they went out, and they actually got killed for their faith in Jesus. So when we, whenever we hear these things, you know, live for Jesus, die to yourself, it's, it's, it's honestly hard for us to get it through our brains because of where we're at. But it's, it's so much more than just coming to church and going to small group. And singing songs. It's living your whole life. It's patterning your entire life for him. Obeying him. Pleasing him. And this is how the Bible describes the normal Christian life. That should be normal. You understand? This should be normal. That's, that is what the Christian life is. The things Jesus just said in these verses, that's the Christian life. And so when our lives start to look different than that, the reality is, that's not what Jesus is talking about. We've got it backwards. We're misunderstanding. We're not following him the way that he says we should follow after him. So our lives as Christians are to be spent in the service of Jesus. Spreading the gospel to those who need it. Of serving each other. Of laying our lives down for each other. Of, of being willing to give your life up for Christ. And Jesus says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And of course, the answer to these questions are nothing. What does it profit someone if you gain the whole world? I mean, just imagine for a second that every comfort you've ever desired after, every dollar you've ever wanted, you had it. You had anything you could ever want, all the comforts, all of it. And Jesus says, I mean, that's not what it's about. You gain all those things, you, you lose your soul. So by gaining the world, when the world says you need to, you need to be after these things, you got, you got to get, you got to get money in the bank. You got to have this much money saved up. You got to be working hard. You got to have this kind of house. By the time you're 25, you should have X, Y, Z. You should do this. You need to comfort, 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 comfort. Jesus is saying, no, that is not, that is not what it's about. 
He's saying if you do that, that's how you lose your life. John 10.10, though, he says, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God does intend for the life of a Christian to be full, to be abundant. But that doesn't mean comfortable and rich and easy. Life in the fullest, the way that God defines it, is a life spent dying to yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus. It's a life spent proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to the lost. It's a life spent seeing people trust in Jesus and watching those people go and share the gospel and and watch them share the gospel so other people are trusting in Jesus. True living is actually dying. That's what Jesus is saying. True living, true life, life, abundant life, is actually found in dying to yourself. And this is how God expects us to live. This is the normal Christian life, and it has become so abnormal today. Would you ask yourself a question? The question is this. Am I dying? Am I dying to myself? When I was in high school, uh, one of my one of my best friends, um, he got saved, and he just completely, truly fell in love with Jesus. Um, I mean, he began searching the scriptures daily, just throwing himself into God's word, and he was just so excited about. What, what God's word said. He wanted to tell everybody, like, this is what I learned in God's word today. Like, this is what I learned. This is what God's been teaching me. He was so excited. And he began to share the gospel with people that he ran into. Like, we'd be at McDonald's after class, after school, and there'd be a dude in the line. You guys are like, you don't, you don't like McDonald's out here, do you? you no. Know? We like it a lot more than you guys like it on the East Coast. Anyways, um, we're at McDonald's, right? And this guy just stands behind him, and Ryan, my friend's name is Ryan. He he's, turns around, and he's like, hey, man, like, have you heard of Jesus? Like, do you know what the gospel is? Can I, can I tell you? Like, I, he, like I, I just put my trust in Jesus a couple weeks ago and need to tell you about it. Like, can I please tell you the gospel? And the power of the gospel is just truly transforming his life the way that the Bible says the gospel will do. And all of a sudden, all these Christian people, these people, they started telling him, like, whoa, dude, like, you, you must be called to ministry. Like, God's calling you to be a pastor. I think I, all these older people at church, God's calling you to be a pastor. That's what he's calling you to be. And this really confused him. And, like, he went down this, like, honestly, like a couple years long of this journey of, like, am I called to be a pastor? I don't feel like, but everyone keeps telling me this, but, like, I don't, I don't get it. And so he took a lot of time, and he's praying through these things, and he's asking all these people, and what he ended up, Coming to, the, his, his conclusion was, why are all you people telling me that I'm called to ministry when I'm just doing what the Bible says to do? So I'm, I'm just obeying Jesus. I'm, I'm trying to do what he tells me to do, and I don't think God is calling me to be a pastor, and he's not a pastor, by the way. 
He was living what the Bible says should be the normal Christian life. Yet it looked completely abnormal. Even to the church. give you point point number three if if you really desire to carry your cross and you desire to please jesus with your life then you need to number three you need to stop being ashamed of jesus that's what he talks about in that verse in verse 38 for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels you guys have heard of Lifeway before? Lifeway Research, Lifeway Christian Bookstore. Has anybody heard of that before? Okay, <laughs> okay. I'm still trying to figure out. East Coast, West Coast, anyways. Lifeway Research recently found that 78% of average church attenders, which I'm going to pause there, they've also discovered that they define an average church attender as someone who attends church Two weeks out of the month. So that's what these, like, that's, that's a good church attender. Like, that's how sparse like, church attendance is nowadays. So it's, that, that's crazy, right? They found that 78% of average church attenders have not shared the gospel with anyone in the last six months. 78% of people in our country, who attend church regularly, have not spoken about the gospel to anyone in the last six months. And really, there are two main answers to why this is a true statistic. I mean, there, there's I mean, hundreds of reasons, but I'm, I'm going to kind of group them together in two reasons. First of all, because some people don't feel confident that they can actually articulate the gospel. Right, so you may think to yourself, like, I don't, I don't know it well enough. I, don't, I, I couldn't have a conversation. Look, if, if that's where you are, you need, you need to know the gospel well enough to have a conversation. Right? You need to get yourself to the point where you can have a conversation about the gospel, where you can share it with someone, and you can be confident, like, I, I know all the points to hit on. I can share the gospel. But a lot of people will say, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just not confident. Like, I don't know if I can do it well. And the next answer is this. It, I think it really all boils down, boils down to this. The next answer is I'm ashamed of the gospel. You can say it however you want. You, you can say, I don't know what people are going to say about me. I don't know what people are going to think about me. I don't want people to dislike me. I don't want this, I don't want that, I hope, whatever. But like, let's, let's group it all together and let's call it what it is. The reason is because you're ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1, 16 and 17, very familiar verses, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, 
the righteous shall live by faith. If you are going to be truly following after Jesus the way that he says a Christian should follow, then you cannot be ashamed of the gospel. And again, I, want, I don't want you just to like fly past this like I'm saying all this because I want us all to think. I want us all to think deeply. So think deeply right now. Are you not sharing the gospel because you're ashamed of it? And, think, and if the answer is yes, why are you ashamed of the gospel? It is the power to save. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. If you've put your trust in Jesus, if you profess faith in Christ, you can't be ashamed of this. There should be no reason. There should be no reason at all that you give to not share the gospel. All right, so like we've talked about a lot of these things. Jesus says all these things. And, and maybe, maybe you're thinking to yourself, like, I want to do that. Like, I, I, my, I really do. I want, I want to do that. But I'm just afraid. I'm afraid of what might happen. I'm afraid that I can lose my friends. I'm afraid that I can lose my job. What if, what if God calls me to a place that I don't want to go to? What if God calls me to go somewhere far away from here? What if he uproots me and I have to go somewhere? Like, I'm scared of that. I don't want to do that. What if, what if I lose the popularity that I've spent my whole life building? What, what if I lose the reputation that I've worked so hard to build? It's been 23 whatever years. I don't want to lose any of it. Like, whatever the fears may be, whatever reasons that you give, Jesus is worth losing everything for. Do you believe? I hope you believe that. You have to believe that. He's worth losing everything for. Yeah, you might lose some friends. You might lose your job. You might lose your reputation. And in some instances, you might lose your physical life. But Jesus is worth it. He's so worth it. Right, so Luke 14 says to count the cost of discipleship. So I want, you to, I want you to go ahead and count it. Count the cost. Think about what, what, what might I lose if I really start to follow Jesus this way. What, 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 might, what might happen? What might I lose? And I, I promise you, like you take everything, count the cost, take everything, and stack it up on a scale with Jesus on the other side, and Jesus is worth more than all of it. It's the truth. And you have to be convinced of that. So we need to renounce the things of this world. We need to renounce comforts. We need to renounce our flesh. And we have to stop being ashamed of the gospel. You need to give yourself away for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, sometimes sometimes your word is convicting. 
that sometimes we need we need to just come to grips with reality. So help us help us to truly understand what it is that you command, what it is that you are calling for out of your disciples. Help us to understand that when we put our trust in you, these are things that you expect, that you command. So God, help us to obey. God, if there's, if there's anybody here that has not put their trust in you, I pray that they would do that tonight. God, as we pursue holiness and godliness, as, as we pursue a relationship with you, a, a, a better, a more obedient relationship with you, God, help, help us to do just that. Help us to be obedient. God, let us be let us be obedient. Let us be the people that you want us to be. God, show us opportunities that we have to share the gospel. Let us take advantage of these opportunities to not miss them. God, I pray that our lives would please you and they would glorify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.